0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. All right, so we got the guys from Mad McKenzie here. We've got Kevin, Michael, and William. What's going on, guys?
1: good morning good morning How are thanks you doing? for having us yeah
0: of course so we i think we ran into when we got connected we ran into william at what was it one of the happy hours a little while back and he was kind of running us through the technology and stuff obviously we are more like digital tech guys for the most part and like more like traditional oil and gas stuff this is something that's completely new to me so i literally don't know anything about us so we are gonna have a whole bunch of questions kind of like walk us through high level elevator pitch what do you guys do
2: Okay, Matt McKenzie Solutions is a company that's focused on improved oil recovery methods. We've selected a product that's been in the industry for over 20 years. Um, When we studied this product, we figured out new methodologies for its utilization, which have greatly expanded our market potential. And so now we're utilizing this product across primary production, secondary production, stripper wells, water floods. We have our first unconventional trials coming up later this month. And we're really proving out that this is a new technology that can be quite impactful. We think it's going to be a disruptive technology to the industry.
0: Cool. So before we like dive into like kind of where you guys are at and everything that you guys do, what's the backstory? How did you guys get to where you're at now?
2: Well, we all have different backgrounds. My background was introducing new technologies to the industry. I've done that with the subsea industry for, I guess, the last 13 years, predominantly working with the major operators here in town. Mm-hmm. I got introduced to the inventor of this product, Greenzyme, here in Houston, become a close friend. We're both Aggie alumni and learned his technology, saw that it had been very successful over the years, but again, found some new methodologies, new ways we could utilize it that we think are very impactful. And so we've been building a team with different assets, some of our advisors versus our VPs in the company. You know, I think we have less than 10 people, including our advisors right now, but we have over 260 years oil and gas experience. Wow. So Uh, we really tried to build up some quality technicians as part of our team.
0: Cool. What's your background? Yeah, let's, yeah. Go,
2: let's go around yeah. the table and no uh, get everyone's background. So,
0: uh, oh, so there's no video. So that was, that was Kevin talking. So now we'll go over to Michael. Michael. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, my background is I have a degree in engineering, and it's, which is mechanical. Did some studies in biomedical engineering stuff way before I got into oil and gas. So my second career in the last 20 years I've been in oil and gas. Been international around the world and expat and stuff like that. Hardware, software, offshore, engineering stuff. Basically then got a master's in project management to do projects for all the majors. So eight years with Shell projects. I had three and a half years with Chevron. I did some startups with Chevron to a, for a project for Petrobras hmm. and then uh, finished up a project for Noble Energy over in Israel. So I, I've been, been around. I've seen a lot of stuff, <laughs> new technologies. I pushed a lot of the envelopes when we went from a 5K, 10K, 15K system mm-hmm. to doing stuff. So first of a kind type of equipment, hardware, that uniqueness, pushing patents and stuff like that and making it manufacturable, that's been, been my background with the industry for the last 20 years. Very cool. What about yourself,
3: William? I was educated at Texas a and degree in geology. Kevin came to me early 2016 with this idea for us putting together a company, selling this product. After looking into it, realized the potential of it, and I've been on board since. So did everybody go to AM?
1: No, I'm actually from Ohio. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to stay right there, yes. One the guy, yes. Do we have good football up there? Yes. Is football down here? Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that uh, I grew up in College Station. I was going to say lanes or canes. That's, that's the hugest argument. Is it lanes or canes? <laughs> lanes. 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 yeah. Lanes down. That's what I survived on, yeah. especially like those, those the few years I was in college there before I gave up on that. That's good stuff. Cool. So you said the, 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 the major market, so you identified this, uh, this inventor, you're friends with him. Did you guys partner up with this guy or did you just kind of get like a license to use this or the patent or?
2: Yeah. So we're an authorized agent. Okay. Uh, we have secured exclusive distribution for the U.S., but we're also marketing it internationally as well. But yeah, de- developed a really close relationship with him to ha- kind of help refine our mythologies and, and make sure that they're going forward with the right intent with the products, features and benefits. Yeah. One. So for our listeners... They've got a jar sitting here
4: on our table. We're watching real time, the technology at work. And you guys describe this as a non-living enzyme. So zombie enzymes. Yeah. Why don't you go over <laughs> what, we, what we have in this bottle right here and how, how it's working.
2: Sure. Yeah, go ahead. It's Permian crude that we've mixed with sand. We just basically made a paste. We added water on top of it. And then right when we came in with you guys, we distributed our product. So what happens is that water on top of the oil and sand will penetrate down into the sand, filling the void space. And as that happens, the diffusion is how our product moves through the water. So as the water saturates into the sand oil mixture, our product will go down with it. It'll interact with the oil. And as that oil is released, it will travel back up that same water path that the enzyme went down. The oil will use that same water highway, if you will, to travel up through the rock and then eventually overcome interfacial tension, capillary pressures, and it will release and float. So what you guys are witnessing now after we added our product, the natural catalyst that that it is allows it to work very effectively and very efficiently. And so you're seeing these drops of oil being released in real time. And as this goes on for another day or so, you'll see all the oil from the bottom of the sand will be released to the top without necessitating any agitation. Which, for anyone in a chemistry background, that's that's quite impressive.
4: Yeah, that's what I think's really interesting about it is that you just have you have the enzyme sitting there on top of, of the rock essentially, and it wasn't agitated, it wasn't mixed in; it's just sitting there on top and it's extracting the oil up to the surface. So it's very very unique.
0: So, how, what can you tell us about this, like how it works, without like giving away any like proprietary information? Any cool like science stuff you can say?
2: Yeah, sure. The easiest way to describe it, I guess, without. You know, too much demonstration for your listeners is if you can imagine that typical utilization of chemistry trying to separate oil from rock, it's kind of like chemical peel that ladies will do, right? You take a layer of the oil off, it releases, you get 5%, 15% production increase for a time period. Then you go back, you hit it again with chemistry, and you take the next layer of oil off. We're talking about residual oils that are stuck to rock. So with this product, because it's, it's this non-living enzyme, first of all, it's environmentally friendly which is completely a step change compared to the chemistries we use today. It's also a clean release. So when you have chemistry, chemistry is like a a hand grenade, stored energy. You send it down, it reacts with the oil, and then you've got the hand grenade fragments, the trash, that either stays in the oil, causes downstream separation issues. With this, it's a clean process. So you don't have any byproducts produced as a result of the interaction. That's also a complete step change for our industry. The closest thing to that would be you know, actually using the living microbes, which we don't use in our industry as much anymore because of the corrosive properties of, of all the carbon dioxide they, they produce. So it's really more about having a, an inert molecule that can be mixed with other oil filled chemistries without changing the chemistry's efficacy and without changing our enzymes' e- efficacy. And because of that, we can use this in a lot of different applications to accommodate a lot of different variants of challenge, whether that's heavy oil paraffin, a lot of unique things that can be done once you get application specific. So how long has
4: Mad McKenzie been at this? How long have you guys been pushing this technology?
2: Two years. Two
4: years. Okay. So what are some of the challenges that you've seen trying to get this adopted in the oil and gas industry? Because I know just from being on a field level operation experience that when you start talking about, you know, like additives or anything like that, a lot of people are just going to write it off, say, oh, this is bullshit. It's not going to work. So how about we talk about some of those challenges?
1: Yeah. So the first thing when you, when you go in, you, you meet a chemist whether a PhD or a petroleum engineer or a reservoir engineer and all that stuff, they look at it and go, oh, you're a bug guy. No, this isn't a bug. Bug is micros, and those are living organisms. And then they think of additives and all this stuff, and they, and they have a chemistry mindset. So when you first have to talk with them, you say, okay, guys, everything you learned, everything stop." and throw that out the window, go back to biology, and think of biology, photosynthesis, you know, enzyme, molecules. Think about that portion. Once they have that aha moment and they think that, oh, this isn't a reaction because they think it's a it's a change in the chemical bonds, and they, and they start going down that path again. And, it's guys, we're not affecting chemistry. What you're doing is allowing nature which has been designed for, to release this and separate from the process, changing the IFT, the interfacial tension, changing the capillary pressures and all stuff. So basically, you're, you're releasing, as you saw and you demonstrated and talked about, the vials releasing these tiny, tiny thousands of micro droplets, which because of physics and the process through the water changes. And you can see how quickly it separates and it moves. So you're creating... Mobility. Once you change all this stuff, you get better fluid flow, right? And, and you don't have to force all that stuff. And again, you got pure. You're looking at pure separation. You're looking at the 99.5% of which is out the door. You can go. Otherwise, if you're using chemistry with bad products and stuff, you can't have that 99.5. You have to do more work on that oil to get it to that, so that you can actually sell it. Here, that's pure oil to go. Mm-hmm. And so your your cost effective is even midstream and downstream on your equipment too. So that's what makes it. But when you talk to a scientist or you talk to a reservoir engineer, because that's their lane, just as you're talking about in your Mm -hmm. field, some stuff that, if you will, archaic, that's what they only see. But when you have to step back and holistically look at from the beginning to the end and what I am looking at my total cost and how I do my operation, whether I'm a production engineer, an asset engineer, or the business guy and the CFO, I know that. I can spend X amount, but I can get this whole thing out, and I'm not going to damage my product, and I'm good for the environment. And, by the way, it's reusable. Mm. The fact is, wow. it's a catalyst. It goes back. The stuff that doesn't touch the hydrocarbon is unused. Therefore, your produced water that you get back in can be utilized again. That's an added bonus that most people aren't realizing. A chemical goes down, it goes in, explodes, and you got to deal with the crap that comes out of it. Yeah. We can't say that. You're not going to bleep me on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then... And that's and that's a big difference. But that mindset, that's the industry. So there's there's a different wave of, of getting through saying, you guys gotta think about biology. And get yeah, back that, to, the, and get back very, to and basics.
4: When when you explain it like that, you're not actually having a chemical reaction. You're just utilizing natural biology and there's not a lot of negatives that could come from that. Whereas It turns with the chemo- out
2: Mother Nature is pretty darn efficient. Yeah. Is what yeah. we're learning. More and, powerful, more efficient, no byproducts. I mean the list goes on.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, the earth survived millions of years without humans. So uh, I think it can continue doing that. It's uh, very powerful. So what fields are you guys, you know, really targeting? You've talked about the applications that you have. Are you guys, you know, specifically focused on the Permian? Are you looking at more conventional plays?
2: We're looking at conventional and unconventional. Okay. So, so far, you know, we, we probably had a year of just research and development, mm-hmm. particularly because we wanted to use this product in a new way. Yeah. After we did that, we kind of defined our, our path forward. So there's a methodical way that you want to go about testing the product in the field. Yeah, for sure. So you want to start with stripper wells. Yeah. It's a difficult challenge because there's no gas in the drive. They're depleted systems. It's all residual oil stuck on the rock. So if you can prove that at less than 1% concentration, for example, which is what we've done, that the product's effective over a long time, you can have great results. So we started there, and we've progressed up with you know slightly higher producer wells over time, and including different applications, so graduating from stripper wells to water floods, now looking at secondary production instead of the tertiary where the stripper wells are, and then advancing into unconventional, completely different application, much more challenging, a lot more science and, and analysis of, compatibility with other products, the, the whole frack blend and whatnot. But what I
4: what I find really interesting about this though is that a lot of technology companies are focused on unconventionals. And there's so many technologies that can be used in the conventional fields to go back and make you know make that more profitable. So, you know, I love that strategy, you know, finding your niche to start out with, getting market penetration instead of saying, yeah, we're gonna go out and we're gonna go take over the Permian and you know take over every shell play. Because there's, you know, and we can take technologies from those shell plays as well and utilize those in conventional assets. So I think that's kind of something that gets overlooked sometimes.
1: Agree. And, and to your point, and the strat- the strategy and the methodology that we're talking about, taking the worst applications, push the envelope where this product can be, right? Show me where it doesn't work. Well, we haven't done that yet. And if we go to the worst conditions and work our way through, and then go into different areas where it is difficult in a shell play. So, for example, we... Without giving away some of the information, we do have field tests in Texas. Mm-hmm. We have some testing in Colorado where the regulations are even more strict. We have testings in Wyoming. We have some stuff going in in Nevada. We also have some stuff ongoing in California, which takes a look at a different application of this. But they also know where they're going to be playing with it. And then internationally, your NOCs are much more receptive to this and more innovative and nimble. In our, and I say this because... The US we don't have an NOC, we don't have an energy saying, Hey, we gotta take care of our oil. These are countries and places that have the best where they're trying to learn and see and try to do something because it's for their security. And so they invite and take a look at this stuff. And we actually have tests going on starting this next month, field tests in the Middle East. Alberta. So global so globally there's there's also impact.
0: So, kind of going back to the, uh, the stripper wall topic, do you guys have any like, numbers or anything you can share? Uh, what you guys have found so far?
2: Sure. So, first of all, you know, talking about going into new applications that the product's not been before, you know, this was kind of a step change to the inventor as well, where he's seen the product be successful. So, his recommendation was, you know, anything less than 20 barrels a day, it's really not a good target for you. So, we turned those down in the beginning. But as we solidified our own understanding of this technology, we politely disagreed. And we decided we were going to do that. And so, for the first stripper well we did, they were typically, over the last 27 years, used this product at about 7 to 10% concentration mixed with water. And so, we took it into a worse application, being a one barrel a day stripper well. And then we also said, well, we're not going to do it at 7 to 10%. Let's add more water. Let's spread this out. So, we did it at less than 1% concentration of the product. The idea was not to replicate some of the product's success producing high oil returns, like 200, 300% oil production increases. While that's impressive on a spreadsheet, if you're the operator that's that's literally not the most effective way to clear out your reservoir, you want, in any kind of business, you want a steady income, right? Yeah. Same with oil. You yeah. want steady production. You don't want big changes in pressure. You don't want a sharp, sharping design right. on it. Right. Yep. So our idea was, while it's impressive that you all have gotten a lot of 100, 200, 300, and more percent oil increases as a result of the way you've used the product, what if we could spread it out further and get a... 30, 40, 50% increase over a much longer duration of time. Mm-hmm. Because again, this DNA enzyme molecule is a catalyst. It's not, it doesn't die. It doesn't lose its efficacy over time, which is again, one of the, I guess, secrets of mother nature. So the first one we did was less than a barrel a day. We used 55 gallons of our product mixed with approximately 145 drums of water and we injected it and we waited. and. We did that on August 1st in 2017, so we just had 12-month, I guess, anniversary, if you will, of that project. And if you average out all 12 months, we've averaged over a 50% increase for that duration of time.
4: Wow. Very good. Yeah, that, that's a good point, too. And I think that we see this, you know, kind of different theses within EMPs. You know, some publicly held companies will like to get a, a well online and just, you know, full throttle it. And, <laughs> you know, they don't really care about the lifespan of the reservoir. So that's definitely, you know, that's an interesting aspect that I didn't even think about. Like, hey, you don't want to just dump a ton of this down there and, and have a really sharp inclination on your on your production. But if you're able to spread it out over time, that's be really helpful.
1: Correct. There's actually public knowledge on one that was done in China. And it's over 10 year. Duration of when they when they did their injections. They did six injections of the greenzyme, and you can see. So you're getting longevity of it, but you're also getting the rewards of pulling out the rest of the oil. Because on on average, as you know, you're looking at maybe 15, 18 percent. But if you're able to go down and say, hey, we can take out the entire reservoir. But if we do it in the right way of getting a steady state as it's co- coming down and increasing that. Over, over the duration, you're looking at a long haul of money, and that makes it easier if you're a public company. If you're a private company, it's different. So to your point, it comes to the operator, right, in their culture saying, hey, I want my bank for my buck. Well, does that make sense? To the product where we have and where we've been working with people, whether it's public or private, saying if, I'm, if we're able to guarantee for you know, 12 to 18 months that you have a steady state flow and you have this increase, but you're, you're able to get the product out on an easy level that's that's a that's a big mindset difference too because you're right some people go in there pump pump that well out dry and then they walk away because they're going to go out and, and you know go for a different area but this case in your case even when you get into a well you still have reserves there and you still have money and you still can clean the environment
2: something to add to mike's comment there that's very interesting in our opinion of this is not only are we proving out in these various applications that we're talking about that we can increase production in a consistent manner But ultimately, as we have enough case history to showcase the recoverable factor, not only increasing a recovery of the original oil in place, but also changing the recovery factor of their reserves, what's proven and what's recoverable. If our technology is a new step change that can allow oil to be released that wasn't prior having that opportunity for being produced – that's a huge deal, especially for, to Mike's. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's correct. And
1: that's the point I was trying to make too is saying, are you looking for the long haul, you know, the different duration, which changes the your ability as a company or where you want to do your investments and all this stuff. And that mm-hmm. that's huge. And that's, an, again, another mindset that if you're, you're going to talk to somebody, oh, what's this little thing do? And they're just looking at is it going to mess up my well? Unlike, what's this going to do for my company or what can do for longevity? Because it can, if you get the money and stuff, it changes the way you want to develop things. Yeah, and and where you want to put your investment and and grow your company changes old fields it, that it, you can recomplete exactly with a completely new technology that exactly will
2: get access to oil that the chemistry could not have. Maybe it's losing its efficacy over a long offset distance, or you know, there's typical challenges that the chemistry faces that we don't. So I feel like a lot of people. A couple of years from now, right, when we're proved and we're doing analysis on entire fields, which is kind of where we're at. We're trying to now start evaluating fields rather than one-off wells. And as that change happens in the industry and we kind of validate our, our methodologies, I think that the recovery factor will change, like I mentioned, but also the ability to go back and recomplete some of these old abandoned wells that maybe Spindletop has, you know, whatever, 50 <laughs> percent oil that's still there that people have given up on. But this could open those doors.
4: Yeah. And I think that's technology like this is so good for, you know, we have so many people that reach out to us that want to start their own EMP, but as you guys know, very capital intensive mm-hmm. business, it's hard to go raise $50, $100 million to start your own EMP, but we do have a lot of these old stripper wells out there. And if you have a technology that you can take in there and, you know, recover some of that, that,
2: that production, mm-hmm. I mean, that opens up new doors for a lot of private operators that's correct and to touch on very quickly how Mike was talking about you know the US doesn't have a NOC a national oil company right mm-hmm. but what is pretty close is the university land system here in Texas they control 2 million acres of Texas owned land and that production goes to the state yeah so think about the impact that we could potentially have with them moving forward helping them manage some of that 2 million acres of production
4: Thank you. I think he's just pushing that because he's an Aggie
2: so William I'm really
4: interested to hear a geologist's take on this. So what what's the, the common sentiment that you guys have seen from geologists? You know, obviously we already had the discussion where the, the mind the mindset's not exactly in the right place because they take it as a chemical reaction product, but what enticed you to come on board? You know, what did you see in the product and you know, what challenges do you see that other geologists may have of accepting it?
3: Well, you know, first of all, when I was looking into the product with Kevin just the numbers were outrageous, you know, 300% oil increase. And once we started talking to Dr. Lau, like Kevin was saying, they typically had, you know, two drums of our product uh, with a certain amount of water, 10 to, you know, 7 to 12% green concentration. And also he was very kind of adamant about the porosity being good, you know, like 10 to 15% you don't always get that, you know? So like Kevin was saying with these, these stripper wells, you know, we're below 10%, below 7%. Even, you know, some of these tighter plays, the shale, you know, this is gonna be interesting once we do get it down hole in these to see how it works, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, uh... the different, yeah, the different types of rocks is, you know, it's gonna be an ongoing process to see you know, yeah, there's a lot of variables. A lot yeah. of
4: variables that you have to test through, and I guess that you know kind of leads into my next question: What are some of the challenges that you guys really face to scale this technology? You know, is it that companies want to see the field tests that you're working on? You know, you've done the one-off wells. Is it, is really kind of a barrier for you guys right now at this point testing whole fields? Is it testing different formations? Just what are some of the challenges that you guys are going through right
1: now? To your point, uh, most operators, depending on what region. Or part of the world you are in, they think oh, it's our formations, right? You're going to run into your geophysicists and your reservoir guys and say, "Well, our oil's heavy. Well, we have these formations that are tough. We got carbonates, or no, we got sandstone, or we've got heavy sands, or whatever it is." And they always think that they have a unique area, and which in some cases true, but the unique thing about the the enzyme is that again, it's inert can care less whether it's shale, sand, rock, steel, glass, whatever. It's not going to react, not going to do a, anything unless it touches a hydrocarbon. And it doesn't matter if that hydrocarbon is an API 10 specific gravity or 23 or 43. If it light, heavy, it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of it. Now, the problem is, again, going back to that mindset saying, well, this is what we have. This is what we want to do. Unless you prove it in our area, then it makes sense. For example... As you're watching this demonstration, and I just noticed that Jacob just picked it up, and he's looking at it, and you can see how it's working through. Now, we know that that's premium dead oil, crude oil, and all stuff in the sand. Now, when we were over in the Middle East, had we done this, they would have looked at us and said, well, you guys brought snake oil. So (laughs) what we did is we took their sand— and we said go get your nastiest heaviest whatever you want and we put in there we mixed up made it at the thickest paste we know that you couldn't separate the sand from that stuff it was like tar we put in the water we put in our enzymes and it happened right in front of them and they just immediately went to oh my gosh what is this and they started questioning they were smiling they were happy because they know that it works on their stuff mm-hmm. so it's it's those type of things that you're trying to share within within the oil and gas industry right so everybody still has a world but we don't we don't tend to be transparent enough with this and our goal is look guys we're here because we're able to help any company any operator wherever you're at we're gonna help your bottom line we can recover more oil in place OIP but we also can do this environmentally clean and friendly and it's reusable that's a two that's a great double-edged sword that no one else has and be and because of that that makes a big difference that's that's a step changer step function impact that most people if they are innovative or have those people within their companies that are trying to push this will understand and they're seeing it but it, it takes time because as you alluded to earlier there's old mindsets there's different areas within the regions just even the united states but those with the heavy regulations those are the first ones that's already embraced this because they're already seeing that those that don't like hey you know what we'll wait and that's fine guys
4: yeah, usually they have the mindset, "Oh, we'll just drill another well if we want more
0: oil." <laughs> Bingo, you got it. That is exactly right. I see this being, especially once you guys uh, capture more and more data points on how exactly this is working. Like you were talking about going back to some of these older plays and just extracting a significant more oil. Imagine like the database that you can build up once you have these results, and then using that data to go out and identify. You guys can even start off a production arm or something like that, or or maybe we just partner up. I don't know. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting kind of excited about it. So. You know, and look at the opportunities there. We don't really know, you know, until yeah, we actually have those data points.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you and you talk about these arms that come from this stuff, the people that we meet, which is very unique. You know, once that mindset changes, with some of the PhDs, the chemist or the geophysicist, the reservoir guys, petroleum engineers, they sat in front of us and said, "I've already got five different ideas." And we're like, "Yes, we know because we already have other companies saying the same thing." So therefore, what you're seeing is this is just one aspect of what we can do. If it only works with hydrocarbons, think about this. Remediation, all right, other areas, very difficult stuff. For example, on LinkedIn, there's a, a picture of very hard stone, sandstone from the gusher of 1910. It's been out there baking for forever, right? A gentleman brought it back and he did the same sample, put that stone from the gusher, 1910, put it in there, put the green zyme in, and took pictures of it, and it's already been exposing, and he linked it to us now that's called remediation and the sand was falling out to the bottom and the oil is coming up that's been out there baking in that dirt for how many 100 years over 100 and, it's, and it still affects it it still works so therefore when you got cuttings from from drilling when you have different areas where do you want to be able to take your hydrocarbons out and reclaim that one again, for your monies and stuff like that, but two, that your landfill or whatever you're putting back in is clean. There's different things. Looking at the tanker business, whether you're offshore or rail, because right now, you know, everybody says, well, we're going to be shipping the oil oil crude and the rail cars, right? You know, you got the Canadians and you got all stuff because the pipeline right now is our chokehold in Permian, for example, but the railroad's not going to deal with that because that's a short-term solution. In 18 months, the line's going to be open, all stuff, and they're not going to waste their time. However, those... Tankers always have to be clean and have process, and they use nasty chemicals and and all that stuff. So there's people already reaching out to us just on that. But you have to take our time in different things. So we do have different areas where we can appropriately do our testing and work with the right people to do that. That's for a different episode, but that's still oil and gas, if you will. It's indirect. So there's, to your point, Jacob, yes, there are many other areas that we probably will not discuss today, but... It opens up the doors.
4: Yeah, it's hard to when you have that much opportunity, you start kind of discovering all these other Correct. these other lanes that you could go into. And it's hard not to try to go out and you're like, Oh, we can take over the oil and gas exactly. industry. You got to stay and, hyper focused. And,
1: and that's why we hit milestones. And that's why we agree that this is what we're going to do and take our steps. And you are so spot on. And that's I think to, to a point with startups, if you will, to talk about this, that is sometimes a falling point for them, because what happens instead of being that point of which they can go in and be that spear and make that that change, and then everything else will follow through on it, they see everything else up and that becomes a blunt object, and they can't penetrate because they try to take on everything. It's a gunshot effect, and you can't do that. You have to target properly. So you set up your targets and your milestones and then your durations, and you hit those. And right now we've set them up and we've been hitting them. Unfortunately, or I should say, fortunately, some of those. Milestones have been hit down early and they're moving closer to us faster than we can anticipate, which is a good thing. So I mean that that's that's the beauty of it.
2: The other point about identifying targets, going back to your question about the challenges of I guess getting the word out, is because the product has so many different utilizations and applicabilities, you know, we're talking to William, so if we're presenting this to a geologist, they're going to be interested in, wow, this can work in various porosities. Wow, this can work on various rocks. It doesn't care about the rock chemistries. A lot of calculations that typically are done with the chemistry, right? It's a big part of it. If we're talking to the petrophysicist, however, he's going to be really excited about, wow, how would you send this down and make that heavy oil fit through the rock? You, you changed the relative permeability. How would you do that? Well, did you change the viscosity or the API of the oil? No, no, we didn't. We didn't break the hydrocarbon chain. We don't have any residual you know, chemistry trash, if you will, that's trapped in the oil. But because of the way product works with the heavy oil in particular, it can essentially make it a smaller version of itself. It's not changing the hydrocarbon chain, but as it's releasing these microscopic droplets, you're changing the size of that molecule in a way to allow it to travel through rock that it couldn't before. So that means that even at lower porosities where that heavy oil is not moving – The petrophysicist is directly interested in how we can get this, you know, oil to move through rock that it previously wasn't. And if you go down the line with all these different contacts, you know, don't have to list them all. But the point is, one of the challenges with a product that has so much verse applicability and so much different titled, if you will, audience members, is you have to be able to figure out how to tailor the message to them and not try and say, hey, this is the end all solution for the world of oil, you know, trust me. And so... I think it's been a challenge or something to definitely be cognizant of on our part is to stay focused in what we're approaching a specific client and their specific role.
4: And we see this with a lot of startups too. You know, they'll go and try to just take off a a massive bite of the industry and you end up shooting yourself in the foot essentially. So very, very good to stay hyper-focused and really be aware of the value proposition for your targeted client. So that's something that Jake and I talk about quite often.
1: Agree. And, and to that point, it's that when you have your client or when you meet that customer, that operator, as we said, there's many different types from your public to your private, et cetera. You have to know and understand where they're coming from. What is their pain point? What is because we're coming with a solution? Yes, this is a product. This is a technical thing. That's not for us to sell. What we're here as a company and to your you're talking about about proposition is here's this team of. That we have that has over 260 years worth of experience in this industry, ranging from, you know, technical sales of new products all the way to geophysicists and reservoir SMEs, et cetera, and engineers, to we can sit down and listen. And Is it, is it a paraffin problem do you have? Or you guys are having problems with sanding, you know, or you're having problems with injection. We're sitting here because we want to work with them as a partner. We're here to provide a solution and find the best way to give them a solution to make them to make them profitable and to gain without damaging the environment so with that being said each Company or each people that we meet, the teams and stuff, those are individuals or individual groups and a culture that we embrace to understand to work with them. So, whether you're domestic or international, understanding those cultures is one thing, but then working to solve their issues, that's where we come in. It's not like, gentlemen, here's this product, we're going to push this. That is not who Mad McKenzie is about. What we're here is to give you guys solutions, whether you have a water flood issue, or you have stripper wells, or you have fracking, you want to do a clean frack, or you have these different areas. that's key to understanding. And then, when you're having problems downstream or midstream, that's where we're able to talk and have those conversations when that client is ready to have that. But sometimes they get there a little bit faster, and we we kind of guide them the right way. So it's a it's an amazing it's careful balance. It's a it's a very yeah it's a very careful balance. But it's a, it's our approach on how we look at it.
4: So I'm going to change the topic on you real quick. So you say that you, you've got your your team. You said about ten people on your team, roughly. So how did you guys go about putting this all together as far as funding? Is it self-funded? Did you guys take any outside capital? Can you elaborate on that
2: at all? Sure. So so far we're we're privately funded. Okay. That's been our seed round and now we're looking for our, our first investment. We're ready for our next, you know, capital series A if you want Okay. And so we're looking at uh, talking to Venture capital and private equity firms alike, right now, yeah. predominantly here in Houston, but possibly other areas, trying to secure that this year. It's kind of our current need. We're ready to expand.
4: Yeah, it becomes a job in itself when you go out and start raising funding. Absolutely. But yeah, that, that's awesome. I was just curious, how do you how you guys were operating? You know, when you have technologies such as a software. It's easy to, not easy, but it's manageable to bootstrap and, you know, you can have Mm -hmm. a developer sitting in there in his fucking room coding all day for free, you know, in in return for stock options with this product, you know, not so much. It's expensive, you know, I imagine to produce it and do your field testing and all of that. So
1: That's correct. Yes. All right, guys.
4: Well, it's been a great conversation. I'm really excited about this technology. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and the whole time it's running through my head. I'm like, holy shit, I can use this on my stripper wells up in Oklahoma. So
0: I'm sitting here running like recoverability factor numbers in my head. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like thinking about valuations, and I'm like, well, what right. acquisitions can we make? And exactly. That, that's why
4: Jake wasn't talking any of this episode. He's over here crunching some numbers on ours. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, it's been great having y'all on. Where can people find Mad McKenzie's? What, what's your URL? Our website
2: website is www.madmckenzie.com, so M-A-D-M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E okay perfect
4: and are you guys on LinkedIn all yes. of you okay. absolutely awesome so what absolutely. we'll do is uh, we'll link you in the show notes where people can come and find you on LinkedIn or reach out on the website
2: and we do post some of the like this little test right here in front of you that you guys are going yeah. to see your listeners if they go to our company page on LinkedIn they can find access to video photo sharing and videos perfect where we share that information perfect yeah I
4: encourage encourage everybody to do that because sitting here watching it, it's a really cool test to see it in action so go check it out guys I'm sure we'll have you back on the show sometime to get a progress report. Sounds great. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for the time. Thank you guys. Thank you.